Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD with Teddy Gelman. I feel like I need to stand up in studio here and kind of experiment with how that would work. Brandon Halvek. Their whole defensive line has been arrested once or twice over the past two years. Ahmed Quadri. Yankees are fun to watch, end quote. That's it. That's all I ever said. And Jake Lampert. Eat more chicken. There you go. I'll throw a slogan in there if anyone here is uh, working for Chick-fil-A and wants to throw me some sandwiches. It's Sports Talk Radio on 91.3 WVUD. Welcome to the cage. Congratulations to the Philadelphia Eagles. Never thought that I'd be saying that in here to the a- to the NFC championship game. I'm surrounded. Not the only person to doubt the Eagles, Teddy. I know many have. Well, underdogs. the number one NFC team underdogs. is in the NFC championship game. I'm not that. I'm surprised. Three and a half but points. Three and a half points, right? For the, yep. the game. And on, they on also Sunday. say whether they play the Patriots or the Jackson Jaguars, assuming they win to, uh, Sunday night. That they will still be underdogs. So let's ride this yeah. underdog even wave it, out. Even home dogs, ja- baby. Even against home, the Jaguars, three point. Really? They would be three point five uh, underdogs. Yeah, and f- to the Jacks or to the Patriots, they would be seven points. Which I get. I get the Patriots, but mm-hmm. even to the I Jaguars, come on now. I know personally, I'd like to issue an apology to Nick Foles. Mm-hmm. Early in that game, I was very emotional. Very stressful, <laughs> and I might have said Nick Foles was a terrible quarterback. <laughs> I might have said that the season was over in this the was first on quarter. No, just just oh, okay. in my house. Okay, and then you know, third quarter, I'm I'm cheering up and down for Nick yeah. Foles. Got the RPO going. He looked comfortable in the second half. He actually had shout more out to Chip yards. Kelly. Yeah, they talked a little bit about him being up tempo. Yeah, more passing yards in the in the uh, game than Falcons quarterback Matt Ryan, the reigning mm-hmm. MVP. And then the defense was spectacular. It was an awesome game from the Eagles from basically start to finish. I mean, they, they, they shot themselves in the foot, I thought, in the first quarter. So that's what got me really frustrated, mm-hmm. combined with the fact that Foles was ineffective. So I'm thinking, okay, if they're going to be minus two in turnovers with Nick Foles, there's no way they can pull out this game. But the defense was so good. Foles turned it around in the second half, and it was an amazing victory, capped off by that excellent play by Jalen Mills against Julio Jones, maybe questionable play calling. We can get into that, mm-hmm. but a phenomenal win for the Eagles. And that's what you get. You, you play a dome team, and a guy slips on the grass. And I mean, again, that's what happens when you play these dome teams. You got to use those little things to your advantage. So Minnesota definitely will be looking at that. But I mean, I feel so good going into this because this game started, and and you're giving a lot of crap to Nick Foles, which is fair. I was too, but I was giving it to Ajayi and the special teams because this special game teams. started off. In the worst possible way it could have, with Ajay literally fumbling the first snap of for him. Mm-hmm. First snap yeah, for first him. Carry. For his first carry, he fumbles it. Um and then I, I believe it's the next the following uh possession, offensive possession for the Eagles. They uh I think they muffed the punt and yeah, they so, lose so it. They, so they fumble. Atlanta moves the ball a little bit. Mm-hmm. Atlanta, Three and out though. Yeah, Atlanta punts. Yeah. And then Eagles just Eagles. muff it. Eagles, it goes off the guy's foot, and yeah. Atlanta is in business, scores the first touchdown in the game. Yeah, so again, that's just the worst possible way to start a game, really, in a playoff series. But they came back from, they fought, LeGarrette Blunt now getting touches and getting touchdowns, so that's a good look right there. You want to get your wide receivers involved a little bit. My only question mark was, or asterisk, I guess you could call it, was no uh, plays over 15 yards downfield for Nick Foles. You did see his very first throw was a 42-yard pass that did... Uh, 
eventually get flagged for pass Pass interference. interference. So that was kind of the long ball threat. I absolutely love that play call right off the gate going deep. Yeah. And so that's good. But again, if you're Nick Foles, you got to feel good right now. And if you're, if you're an Eagles fan, you also have to feel good because if you can get back from that horrific first quarter, I think you can kind of make it past this Minnesota Viking, Vikings team who's probably also feeling lucky to be where they are today. And the Atlanta Falcons had opportunities in that first half to maybe make some things differently, but the Eagles, the way they closed that first half, gave themselves a position to play a very defensive second half, scored those six points, three in the third, three in the fourth, Falcons scored nothing, and for the Atlanta Falcons, this is a team that is not built to win games by scoring 10, 15 points. They've got to score. They've got to score 20, 25, and as personally somebody who was rooting for the Atlanta Falcons, this... Ouch. The... I'm not going to hide it here. I am not going to hide it. I'm a true Redskins fan, so I'm not. There are times in which you support your division foes. There are times in which you don't, True. and this year is not one of them. So I, you know, the Falcons. I thought they had their chances, but in all honesty, the Eagles deserve to win this game. And the way it ended is probably the way that it should have ended because the Falcons' play calling was pretty bad at the end of the game, and the Eagles outplayed them in that second half. Foles outplayed Matt Ryan, however you want to say it, in that second half. And the Eagles didn't do a ton on the ground. They did enough. They got all Sean Jeffrey, Zach Ertz involved at the end of the game. And it became a defensive battle. And the Eagles are a team that's going to most likely win those defensive battles. And for the Falcons, I'm sure they had hoped this game to look a little bit more like the game in L.A. And it didn't turn out like that. And it came down to the wire. Questionable play call at the end. Do you roll Matt Ryan out, look to the end zone? That's up for discussion. But you can't look at a game and break it down, as I'm sure we'll do in a second, in Minnesota and New Orleans and get into that. At the end of the day, the score tells the picture here. Eagles did enough to win it. And it doesn't just come down to that last play. They have a first and goal, four chances at the end zone, and the Eagles stand up on their own goal line and get the stop. And that's what ultimately wins them the game. Should they maybe have caught a different play on fourth and goal? I think plenty of analysts and coaches across the country will tell you that that's probably not the highest percentage call that they have in their playbook. But you have to give the Eagles defense credit for not only making that stop there on the four down possession, but all throughout the second half, keeping the Falcons off the scoreboard, holding them to the field goal when they had uh, you know, drives moving down the field, and ultimately limiting what should be a pretty prolific Falcons offense. You mentioned that this is a team that has underachieved this year. Last year, they're the number one offense in the league. They fall to 15, yet none of the characters change. You still have Matt Ryan, the MVP. You have two talented running backs in Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman, and then Julio Jones, maybe the best receiver in football. And all season long, it's been a story with this team of not getting that same production out of these guys. Julio Jones got it going a little bit late in the season and even in this game against the Eagles, but ultimately it wasn't enough to overcome maybe the best defense left in these playoffs, especially after, you know, we'll talk about the Jacksonville game, but what Pittsburgh did to Jacksonville, maybe this Eagles defense is the best defense left and they put up a strong showing against an offense that should be better than it is, but still has a lot of talent. Julio Jones is a free agent now, so we'll see what his future holds, but uh, some people have the Philadelphia hopes for him. Boy, that would become real dangerous. That, that won't happen. That, that won't happen, there's, there's, no, there's no way. Unless you don't want Carson Wentz next Falc- year. That's also happen. true, but Falcons also have to reassess, I guess, their future now. Keeping it Moving in. forward. And, the, and we should also note before we move on, Steve Sarkeesian, their offensive coordinator, was announced today by Dan Quinn that he'll be staying. So that was a spot where a lot of people thought, let's get me to get Sarkeesian out of here because he's the only part that changed, right? Kyle Shanahan goes to San Francisco to be the head coach. He was their offensive coordinator last year. They bring in Sarkeesian. 
offense kind of falls apart, they're going to bring Sharkeesian back. So it's going to be pretty much the same cast of characters, except for if something happens with Julio. Quick note, I'm reminded as we're talking about this at, I guess, this point last season, maybe a week after, maybe a week before something, we were talking about Matt Ryan. The Falcons went to the the NFC Championship. They beat the Packers last year, go to the Super Bowl, 28-3. to We all know what happens. We were talking last year about this idea of Matt Ryan, you know, elite quarterback. I'm convinced that, not that last year was a fluke, but that Matt Ryan, who Matt Ryan is this year, is more so who Matt Ryan has been in the past. I think Kyle Shanahan last year really, really helped him. But I don't know if Matt Ryan will reproduce those numbers that he put up last year. He's a very solid quarterback um, that is helped by some very talented players across the board. But I don't know. Did you, what do you think about Matt Ryan and his performance this year compared to maybe what he did last year? I've I've read a lot about him being a little less lucky this year where the counting stats, yards, touchdowns, interceptions don't necessarily reflect his quarterback play. So last year he was just under 5,000 yards, this year just over 4,000. So he's almost 1,000 yards different. But if you look at some of the metrics that just evaluate his decision-making, who he is as a quarterback, he's about the same. His total QBR, which kind of takes into account the yards you gain, your completion percentage, your efficiency, touchdowns, was ranked fifth in the NFL this year. So he's still uh, you know, among the league leaders. If you look at his number of interceptable passes, so not passes that tip off the hands of receivers, but passes that you know people watch the game, Pro Football Focus has this stat, where they watch the entire game and they count how many times a ball is in the hands of a defensive back and bounces off his chest or should have been picked off or is intercepted. And then they take out those ones where it bounces off a receiver's hands and goes intercepted. And his interceptable passes was actually down from last year. So last year, he was probably a little lucky in the interception area. Only seven interceptions compared to 38 touchdowns. This year, he's probably a little bit unlucky for 12. So I don't think the disparity is quite as large as the counting stats would indicate. But at the same time, last season is probably going to be the best season of his career. It's very difficult to repeat the numbers that he had last year. That 4,500-yard range, 20 touchdowns, 10 interceptions like he had in the three previous seasons is probably more like the Matt Ryan that you should expect moving forward. And then you also look at him maybe starting that decline a little bit. He's 32. I think he's still at the same level now, but maybe two or three seasons down the road, you start to see some of the signs of decline. So I think he's about the same as where he's been before last year, a little bit more of a standout season, but I don't think it's a huge, huge drop-off. Matt Ryan, one of three NFC South quarterbacks that is now out of the playoffs. Cam Newton in round one, Ryan in two, and Drew Brees from the Saints out in round two as well. The Sunday night game, or the Sunday afternoon game, the final, 29-24. to If you don't know what happened, I'm sure you've been living under a rock, but a miraculous finish in this game. With the Case Keenum pass to Stefan Diggs in the sideline, Marcus Williams, who knows what's happening, the Saints defensive back doesn't want to cause pass interference, gets out of the way, Diggs catches it, goes into the end zone. I remember I wasn't a fan of either of these two teams. I dropped to both knees on the ground watching this one. It was (laughs) such an exciting finish, and it just goes to show you cannot count it out till the final play, and when it looked like... You know, the the Vikings, after going up, gave Drew Brees too much time. 
they might have given him, as it sounds, too much time because Drew Brees got the put his team into position to take the lead, 24-23 with the field goal. Vikings come back. They do really nothing. They gave Casey Keenum too much they time. They gave Casey Keenum too much time. He throws it, finds Diggs with the catch, and the rest is history. And what it comes down to, you give your guy a shot, you never know what happens. Yeah, I don't want to recap this too much because you guys have seen this on an endless loop by now. 25 seconds and... Really, and, and you start this drive, if you're Case Keenan with a false start, it's first and 15. Possibly the worst po- worst possible scenario to really start off um, your final, I guess what you would call your final possession of your of your of the 2017 season, NFL season. And they start off with the first and 15. They slowly move downfield. It's really only two complete catches, both coming from Stefan Diggs. And again, a mental breakdown, a... Uh, um, a little bit of a hesitation, whatever you want to call it. It was a breakdown, and the Vikings win. And, again, I think you have to still give them a lot of credit. As lucky as it felt like they have gotten all game in that specific game, I still think that they did deserve to win that game, and their defense really held up. And, again, I th- I think some of the defenses here left are not getting enough attention here, especially from the Vikings, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Eagles. Those are three fantastic defenses. And I, I think the Vikings – regardless of that way the end of the game, I think they deserve to win it, and it was an exciting finish nonetheless. And I'm I'm not one to say that a team that wins a game is not deserving of it. They they yeah. certainly are. They made enough plays. The score indicates that they're the winner. But at the other side of things, you look at what New Orleans did offensively on that final drive, and Drew Brees did nothing to lose this game in the second half. They were trailing, mm-hmm. what, 17 nothing, 17-3 heading into halftime, and Drew Brees mounts one heck of a comeback, including a drive where they start with a minute and 30 seconds. They convert a fourth and 10, and they finish it off just with one timeout to take the lead. Maybe you give a little too much time, but you'd expect your defense with 25 seconds left and 80 yards to go to be able to hold the Vikings off the scoreboard. Obviously, the miraculously miraculous play changes that. But from New Orleans' perspective offensively, I give them a heck of a lot of credit for what they were able to do in the second half. Obviously, you have to look back to the first half for this team. Should they have done more in the first half to not put themselves in that position in the second half? Sure. But if you're Minnesota, you probably have to be a little bit worried by the way that your defense did not hold up in the second half, albeit against a very good offense. But New Orleans had this game in hand, and it's a game that they should have closed out. And you got lucky, I think, to win this game if you're Minnesota. And Drew Brees and the Saints offense, this is what I've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. What do we do? Are, are overrated, underrated? I went, I pointed to the Saints as a team that people seem to be forgetting about a little bit. Sure, they didn't make the playoffs the last couple of seasons. All right, their defense is better. You got Kamara, Ingram in the back, in the backfield. Wide receiver group that besides Michael Thomas or even Michael Thomas, a lot of people don't really know too much about. But, that's a dangerous team, and they showed it in the second half. Willie Sneed with the redemption catch after he misfired on the pass after the lateral, looking for Kamara deep, missed it. Sneed catches it on the fourth and ten. They kick the field goal, etc. And this one, I mean, we heard that Drew Brees is coming back. He decided he's going to come back to New Orleans next year. He's not even going to test free agency, but I had a feeling even before this game that if they get past this defense and who knows what they would have had to face in either Philadelphia or Atlanta that that we were on a collision course possibly for a Drew Brees, Tom Brady or something like that. But instead, we're left with three or four quarterbacks who have not been here before and the defense stands tall at the end of the day. But of course, a lucky play, a lucky play. And what a moment. 
What a moment for the Vikings. In the AFC, we saw a shocker, so to speak. That's nothing else to call yeah, it. Absolutely. I, I don't think you can call it anything less than that in the early game. Jaguars go up 21 nothing. What are we watching? A dominating defense, and Blake Bortles looked good. we got to be honest. Blake Bortles looked, he looked okay. solid. He was solid. He did not make mistakes. He fa- Let's also say this with... To be blunt, the Steelers' defense was bad, really bad. Yeah, really bad. And even despite that, Pittsburgh had multiple chances really to win this football. Game. And Ben Roethlisberger was, was through a lot of yards. He was great, but the Jaguars. What more can you say? They won this game, top to bottom. They won it. Yeah, I mean, you can look at some questionable play calling for Pittsburgh at the same way that you could say for Atlanta. Maybe even more questionable. Tomlin on the hot seat. I mean. The onside, well, Todd, Todd Haley gone too. Yeah, offensive coordinator. The, the onside kick to me. I don't know exactly how much time was left, but two two minutes or ha- so. Yeah, but they had timeouts that they could have stopped the clock. If they got a stop, they would have got the ball back, and they would have only been trailing two by one touchdown. It was thirty eight to thirty five, right? So they they would have got the ball back, and a touchdown would have won the game. Instead, they put. Jacksonville in a position to score another touchdown before they get the ball back, and then now they're down two touchdowns because of the onside kick. That, to me, made no sense down the stretch. But to your larger point, Jacksonville did so much in this first half to set themselves up so well. I think you have to play this way if you're Jacksonville because it allows Blake Bortles to be somewhat effective. You get a lead, you are able to continue running the football, you get him off of play action, your defense sets you up with good field position, and you hide the fact that you have a mediocre at best quarterback. If you fall behind early in this game to Pittsburgh with what they have on the offensive side of the ball, Blake Bortles is not going to come back and win you the game. Like He can't do what Drew Brees did in the Minnesota game and bring an offense back in the second half. But if you put up that kind of defensive performance and the plays they made in the first half, now you're putting Blake Bortles in a position to win. So I think Pittsburgh still you know, kind of maybe blew the game, or at least they blew one more chance at winning the game late in the fourth quarter, but credit goes to Jacksonville. I did not see this performance coming. I think you have to also look at the Steelers' future here now as Brendan, I think, did a good job of really recapping the game, but um, questions now loom with Le'Veon Bell, what his future holds. Uh, ben Roethlisberger, before the season started, did say he was going to play the season and reevaluate his life uh, because or his career because of CTE uh, questions, but I, I don't know what happens with the Steelers now, and I don't. I think Mike Tomlin's still on the hot seat. You did mention Todd Haley, but I what happens with Mike Tomlin? What really has he done now in the last few years, and of them being so-called contenders now? So this Steelers team could really shake up here in a game that I, I think they, I, I personally had picked them uh, to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars and to come out like you mentioned, Teddy, with twenty-eight points in the first half and three touchdowns from. Fournette and a touchdown from Yeldon also in that first half. I think that it is just overwhelming, and you just can't come back from a first half like that. Obviously, the score doesn't really tell the story here, but Jacksonville Jaguars. And I think you give also a little bit too much credit to Blake Bortles, but again, I think he's doing what this team has to do, or he's he's doing what this team is asking for him. So I like what Blake Bortles is doing. I'm not ready to give him that MVP. I think he made... Um, a LeBron James comment, which was hilarious. He said, people still hate LeBron James, and then he walked out um, at a press conference, and he was like, he just shrugged it off. So I think he's kind of riding his own high wave, but again, I think he's he's doing more than uh, managing that team right now. 
And honestly, I wouldn't blame him. I mean, he did. I don't blame him either. He did, he did enough. Yeah, fourteen for twenty six. Yeah, two fourteen. Mm-hmm. A touchdown. No interceptions. He took care of the football, and he let his running game do the job. Yeah. One hundred sixty four yards on the ground. Fournette one hundred nine. Three touchdowns. Twenty five carries. This recipe that they put together. And I personally thought that the Jaguars' defensive perform, really overall team, but will highlight defensive performance in that first half was the most impressive performance for a portion of the game for any team throughout the playoffs, the way that defense played in the first half. I I was blown away. If they can do that, we will preview the game in New England later on, but just real quick here, if they can put up any similar effort, we'll see how they adjust with Tom Brady, but if the effort is there um, offensively, they will be in the game. This is not a team that's going to get blown out. I don't see it right now. Also got to give a lot of credit to Ben Roethlisberger. Five touchdowns is the most in a uh, divisional round by any quarterback that's a record the magic did not continue with the another team in the afc south the titans went up seven nothing and that that was it the patriots took control this was the least interesting game because the other four, three games were, were very good i mean steelers jaguars it's a three-point game but that was pretty much over for the last little couple minutes of the fourth quarter falcons eagles went down to the final minute vikings Saints ended on the final play. Patriots Titans was probably over after the third quarter. There was if that. Yeah. That this was this done. This is embarrassing. This was for done. The Titans. I think the Titans were just happy to be there. It's one of those things that they knew. They played well. I mean, they, they played knew. well in the first quarter. They I mean, did, happy did, to be here, sure, but then they fired their coach two days later. I mean, this. Well, I think this well, team. It's crazy that they're in the playoffs. Yet you look at them and they have so far to go before yeah. they're actually a contender. I think you worded that. Like, it's not crazy to. Fired, right, yeah. but also, but also he didn't team. get fired. They parted ways, quote unquote. Okay. But yeah. there, there's but, disagreements with management and coaching. But think yeah. about the AFC here. This team at nine and seven is good enough to be considered a top four team in the AFC. Just goes to show how bad the AFC was this year. Right. And so if this team makes some changes, who knows what's going to happen in the rest of the AFC? So it's kind of odd, right? Do you give them yeah. credit, but their coach is gone? They're and at a, I think, and I don't think it's crazy to fire your coach. Because if we, it just never happens after yeah, you yeah, win a playoff exactly. game. But if if we look at the AFC picture next year, I don't think any of the three of us put them into the playoffs. I think Houston is probably judged above them with a healthy Deshaun Watson. Maybe even Indianapolis if they get Andrew Luck back. Jacksonville certainly is ahead of them. And then I think as far as wild cards go, we would probably pick Oakland. Above them, maybe John we, Gruden. Maybe we talk about the Chargers, the Bills. Mm-hmm. Those teams are all kind of in the same area, so it's not unreasonable to me to kind of start fresh with a new quarterback because this team is not in a position to be a surefire playoff team, and they're certainly not in a position to be a contender. And New England put that on full display. New England's a true championship contender, and they made this a complete blowout. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. It's time to talk the matchups for this weekend. The championship matchups in the AFC just after 3 o'clock. We have the Jacksonville Jaguars in Foxborough to take on the New England Patriots at 640. We have the Minnesota Vikings in Philadelphia to take on the Eagles in the NFC Home dogs. championship. We're going to save that game for a second. We'll start in the AFC because that's the first game. Here's the, the question everybody really wants to know, because we could skip all this, oh, Blake Boyles this, Fournette this, Brady this. Brady's going to play. Forget the injury, but Blake Brady's going to play. How, if, the, if they can, how can the Jaguars beat the Patriots? Isn't that what everybody wants to know? 
I mean, they just have to get to the quarterback. Can you stop Tom Brady? Probably not, but you can harass him. It's Tom Brady's at the level now where he doesn't he doesn't see anything. He just feels it. And he's gonna have a good feel for this game. He's he's gonna be going. Again, you didn't mention the injury. I don't I'm not I'm not really buying it. I'm sure he is actually injured, but I don't buy that it'll affect him at all in any way. Um, again, there it would take a lot for Tom Brady to miss or um, really mess up this game. So if yeah, if you're the Jaguars, it's nothing special. It's nothing new. It's nothing fancy. You just do what you what got you here, and um, that's really get to the quarterback. Not that they got to Ben Roethlisberger in any way specifically. But I mean, Ben Roethlisberger threw for like 500 touchdowns and um, a lot of a lot of uh, 500 yards and five touchdowns. Not 500 touchdowns, but yeah, they got to get to Tom Brady. Something that they didn't really do, but that defense will get them there. I think that's a great point in getting Brady off his spots. They kind of mm-hmm. went back to that spread him out rhythm offense against Tennessee. A lot yeah. of Deion Lewis, a lot of James White, those running backs on linebackers and, and safeties. You can't do that if Brady's holding the ball and there's no options and mm-hmm. pressure's coming and you start getting into deeper, deeper dropbacks on third and longs. When they're ahead of the sticks, they can just get the ball out quickly and get it to those skill guys in space. I think pressure has to come, but you also have to really lean on those coverage corners. Really lean on A.J. Bouye and Jalen Ramsey shutting down a Brandon Cooks or even putting Ramsey in on the slot and shutting down a Gronkowski down the field. That's going to be the matchup. into those checkdowns. I think that's another big matchup here between offense and defense. On the other side, offensively for Jacksonville, Patriots defense is fine, but it's nothing— Great. It's nothing that you have to really be concerned about. I think for the offense, you have to establish the running game early. Hopefully your defense keeps the score close enough that you can continue the running game through the second half and keep the play-action game alive, keep that honest, which I think would help Bleak Bortles out a lot. A couple things. You said the Patriots' defense is, is fine. I'll give them a little bit more credit. They're they're currently they're second in the NFL in, in yards per game allowed defensively. I thought they were kind of underrated the whole year. They're second in rushing yards allowed, and they're fifth in passing yards allowed. I think all of the four teams left have very good defenses. I'd say out of the four, the Patriots have the worst of the four. But it's it's a really solid defense, and it's a better defense than the Steelers. So from the Jaguars' perspective, I would anticipate rushing to be a little bit more difficult than it was against the Steelers. Fournette happy he's healthy first we had the injury in the game then the car accident but happy he's healthy he got yelled in they've got depth there but the part that the game that I'm really interested in here on Sunday is you know the Patriots when they throw you mentioned it they love these quick little in the flat Deion Lewis mm-hmm. uh Edelman's hurt but but you're James White last you're time. James White they love the the Amendola the the Hogan the Gronkowski up the middle they love these quick passes if they can get the ball out of Brady's hand really quickly, which I imagine they will, it could be a tough day for the Jaguars' defense, as good as they might be, because this team is built in... The the Jaguars' strength is mainly at the line. They have good corners, but in the defensive line, getting to the quarterback, stopping the run. But if the Patriots don't have a lot of success on the ground, that's fine for them, because that happens often. So Brady will just dump these little passes off, and that's probably enough. So that's what I'm interested yeah, was, in. I'll also give Jacksonville's linebackers a little bit more. I think Jacksonville's linebacking core is still pretty good. If there's a if there's a team that can match up on those guys in space, it might be Jacksonville. They have good safeties too. But that being said, when's the last time we saw somebody 
really shut that element of the Patriots' offense down. I don't think we've really seen it this season, especially once Deion Lewis came back into the fold and became established as their number one running back option. So that, that's that's an interesting matchup to follow in that one. And the Patriots, this is a team that lost the, I'm looking in 2015 right here, They 2016 they won the Super Bowl, 2014 they won the Super Bowl, Seahawks in 2014, Falcons in 2016, 2015 the year between, they lost in the conference championship to the Broncos, 18-20. to Remember that game? That was a very defensive game. I don't remember it, it, that uh, vividly, but I know it was defensive, and it was against an elite defense. So there's precedent here for this team to lose to great defenses, and I'm not going to go to the excuse by saying, oh, well, the Broncos had Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning was bad in those playoffs. Right. So there is precedent for this team to lose late in the playoffs to good defenses. It would be a surprise. No doubt it'd be a surprise. But at this point, it's been shown that the Jaguars are the second best team this year in the AFC. Whatever you want to say it, they beat they beat the Steelers, so they've proved themselves. AFC is pretty bad, though. It's, sure, it's bad, but you play what you got, right? Yeah. You play what you got. So like I said before, I don't think this will be a blowout. I don't think it'll be a blowout. I don't think it'll be a, a replay of the Titans game last week. I, I fear that it is. I hope you think it's so? not. I think it could be. I think there are ways that this game unfolds that it's close. Hold, hold your picks now. But <laughs> we'll I mean, hold them. We're getting close so, to the picks. I mean, we got it's about just so four, tough. seven minutes like this, to picks. Yeah. I don't think my pick's going to surprise anybody. I'll say that. Um, I, I'm not commenting on that. But again, <laughs> I'll put it this way: I have to agree with Teddy. Either or, it's a, and it's an AFC Championship game. Let's let's give these teams some credit now. It's going to be a good game. They, I mean, the last couple seasons, they did blow out the teams they played in the AFC Championship. With the exception of the Broncos, when they blew out the Steelers last year, 2014, they destroyed the Colts. So, they've... they've, hey, they've Deflate Gate, though. Asterix sure. 2014. Sure. Just sure. kidding. I'm Let's go to the other side. This one is very intriguing. Uh, we got two teams. Are you going to throw something? I, I missed my chance for the two. Oh. But there was footage of multiple touchdown celebrations in that game against Tennessee of players scoring a touchdown and then chucking the ball into the stands for the Patriots, destroying evidence perhaps. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Around this time that you know the deflate gate thing happened, whatever it was three years ago. Oh boy. Not again. Maybe again. I don't know. I'd hand the ball to ref. Time to tell. Time will tell. We'll see. Alright, moving on. Two great defenses, Philadelphia, Minnesota, two quarterbacks that nobody thought would be here. One of them is there because of an injury and Nick one Foles. great city. And another good city, too. Give Minnesota some credit. <laughs> the uh, the Vikings, Case Keenum, nobody thought he'd be starting for this team. And he had uh, some up-and-down moments against the Saints, but a good throw at the end of it, a little luck, and on they go. Obviously, the Eagles are underdogs, and they're bringing the dog masks out again. And I'm bringing the I dog masks I thought about mask getting out. one. They're, they're sold out on Amazon. They sold out, but then they They got they another restocked. shipment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> it's so popular. But then they went up to $35. Because they had to, they had to yeah. buy from China, because that's where they were being produced. Yeah, I couldn't so the price went justify up. that. You know, here's what, here's what I'll say about this game. The whole, for both sides, I don't think that this will be, I, I think this will be close. This is going to be another down to the wire, as both of the games were. Vikings, Saints, Eagles, Falcons. It'll be down to the wire. It should be low scoring. The question is, you know, who, who gets it going on the ground? Who makes the big plays? Who turns it over? But I have a t- I want to hear from both of you, of course. I have a tough time making a real valid uh, prediction as to what's going to really happen here because this is going to go down to the wire 
And after seeing these the games that both of them played in the divisional round, what makes you think that it's going to be anything other than back and forth, defensive, field goals, anything stand out outside of what I've mentioned? Um, as much as an Eagles fan as I am, I have to agree with that. It's going to go down to the wire. When you when you look at games like this, I think it really comes down to turnovers. Then, because when you look at running, like uh, the rushing attack, the passing attack, two quarterbacks that may or you know may not, you know, you're looking at you're talking about a third string quarterback and you're talking about a second string quarterback. But let's give Case Keenum a little bit more credit than he is. He's not a true third string quarterback. He's playing like a first string. But with all that being said, I think when you when you kind of nitpicking here and you're and you're putting, uh, you're making a table of uh of a comparison chart or whatever. I think really deciding factors come down to home court home court advantage or home field advantage and then turnovers and I'm not going to I'm not going to use Philadelphia as an advantage. Oh, they're playing in Philadelphia so they'll win. I, that's not a big enough advantage for me. I'm going to go with turnovers and again, we've seen uh Eagles come back from turnovers and we've seen Case Keenum throw a turnover that almost proved to be costly to Williams who eventually costed them the game. So again, I think it really does come down to turnovers and again, not how many turnovers because again, we've seen turnovers by the Eagles, we've seen turnovers by the Vikings in the Saints game, but it's the time of those turnovers. I think those are both excellent points from both of you. I think it'll be very close. One matchup that I think will be interesting that maybe is getting overlooked right now is Vikings running attack versus Eagles defensive front. I think the Eagles have perhaps the best front four in football, one of the best linebacking cores in football, probably behind Jacksonville, maybe second or third best there. Can Minnesota establish some sort of running attack? They averaged less than four yards a carry against New Orleans, and I think it hurt them in the second half. They weren't able to pick up those first downs when they had the lead and they were trying to ice the game. They gave Drew Brees too much time, gave him a minute and a half, and he was able to lead the Saints down the field for what probably should have been the game-winning drive. Latavius Murray stepping in for Dalvin Cook earlier this season is another guy who's had to step up for this team in addition to Case Keenum. He's fine, but the offensive line for Minnesota is not good. It's not as good as the Falcons offensive line and the Eagles did a number on the Falcons running game which again has a more talented offensive line and more talented back so I think if the Eagles dominate up front and slow down that running game now you're talking about can Case Keenum win a game for Minnesota without help around him granted two really good receivers in Diggs and Phelan but without a running game can Case Keenum win the game in a close one for Minnesota and that's a, a bet that I think the Eagles will have to be willing to take if you can shut down the running game, make Case Keenum beat you. And if he does that, you go home. But if he doesn't, that's that's probably the most likely scenario. You, you, you move on because this is a guy who has had a great season, but he's still, at, at very best, he's a league average quarter. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Let's talk NBA here. We had suspensions doled out after the incident i don't even know what to call it but the incident you guys are playing manhunt as a kid (laughs) (laughs) so after the game on monday night in los angeles between the rockets and the clippers it got chippy at the end of it we had some ejections at the end of it i went to bed i wasn't watching it was chippy all fourth quarter there were 15 technical fouls in this game i went to bed early so i didn't know about it I, i i woke up and I had about 10 notifications from Bleacher Report and Twitter and whatever about all of this. So I, I went into it. And if you missed it all, some of the Rockets went hunting for some of the Clippers 
to the Clippers locker room. You had somebody, Clint Capella, knocking on the front door while, what, four other Rockets on the back trying to get in the locker room? So in Staples Center, apparently there are secret tunnels that connect the home and away locker rooms. And Chris Paul, former Clipper, knew about these secret tunnels. you can't be doing that. And led his Rocket teammates into the Clippers locker room to confront Blake Griffin and Austin Rivers. Blake Griffin, because he was a part of the chippy play at the end, and Dan Tony says that Griffin bumped him, which has not been there's been no discipline with that. And Austin Rivers, because for whatever reason, seems like everybody in the NBA hates Austin Rivers. So they come around the back and they Thank send, you. as you said, they send Clint Capella to the front of the door, knock, 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 as the d- distraction, and they Capella's come in the around the bo- back. My, one of my favorite things, there's plenty of things to go into this that I love, but one of them is imagining Chris Paul, the veteran of the team, going up to young Clint Capella and saying, yo, man, go to the front of the Clippers rock, locker room, just knock on the door. Why? What, what? What? Don't worry about it, Clint. Just go up there. You'll be fine. And then the Clippers apparently slamming the door in his face and Capella not knowing about the secret tunnel and the Rockets going in to the Clippers locker room. It is so petty, this whole it's thing. Amazing. But it's hilarious, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, Chris Paul is the president of the, of, the N- of the NBA Players Association, which in colloquial terms means he is the utmost role model among players. And if this is true, this is just so right, like When players so have grievances, he's the guy who goes to Commissioner Silver and speaks what's on the player's mind. He's the dignitary of the players' union. Do they do this if they win the game? Hmm. Maybe I don't. Maybe. I don't think it. Ma- I think it. It might be more than the game. Probably. I mean, this is. This. Goes I think back Dan to Tony like, was a big part of it. Dan Tony yeah. probably also is not going to be like, hey, no, don't go to the locker room. No, he seems like he wouldn't. He he would yeah. not because he stop was ready that. to throw hands with Blake Griffin. It looked yeah, like he, I mean, he was he getting into multiple it. times. Yeah. kept being like, yeah. you guys are forgetting yeah. that I said Blake Griffin contacted me during yeah. the game, and nobody's yeah. done anything about it. Yeah. So I, I think if you see. At that time, Chris Paul leaving through a back exit, I might just turn the other way. I might just be like, all right, do what you got to do. So, And, again, you mentioned also Kyle Lowry and Ben Simmons. Um, well, looking, that's a whole other that's incident. A, yeah, yeah, looking to also exchange pleasantries in the hallway. What's up with this? With guys trying to meet in the hallway now? I mean, this, this Rockets-Clippers thing goes all the way back to Paul being on the Clippers yeah. and him coming in there. To a very young team and changing the culture and not being the nice guy. And it's been well documented that there was always a riff between Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan and Chris Paul. And that the three of them were fine co-workers, but they were never best of friends. And when DeAndre Jordan a few off-seasons ago was a free agent, remember he signed, he agreed to sign with the Dallas Mavericks. And then Chris Paul and Blake Griffin locked him into his house and held him hostage until he agreed to sign with the Clippers. And the whole thing was Chris Paul basically promising to him that things were going to change and he was going to be more involved and that he was going to like playing in L.A. And they lock him in, and they're like, come on, man, come on, man, come on, man. And he finally agrees to the contract. Now when it's time for Chris Paul's contract to be up this offseason, he's ready to be out. He's had enough of this. This team perennially is a disappointment in the playoffs. They never advanced past the second round of the Western Conference together. Chris Paul has never done that in his own career and he decides to leave, so there's this, still this riff as all of that team is still remaining other than Chris Paul, and it cul- culminates in this amazing moment a few nights ago. 
And and I don't think that they were ever actually going to fight. Do you think that? Do you actually think that these guys? I want to think that that, that they. they, that they, they were I going would in say there. yes because again, that's why they went behind be- closed door. That's why they went into this tunnel. If they wanted to do it again, I, uh, players love to act big they'd and be, they'd shove. Be, they'd be idiots the to course. go in there without thinking that somehow it was going to find out, and they'd be suspended for a while. They'd be yeah, and if you're the Rockets too, like you don't it's do actually that. important if Chris Paul and James Harden get suspended, like that that actually matters. And then the report, the report today that and Clint Capella, the report, no, Clint Capella did nothing wrong. <laughs> well, the, the the report today that it was Ariza and Gerald Green yeah. who were really pushing it on, and Paul and Harden. Back and I and I agree. I, I bet that's the case because yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, Chris Paul is a role model. The guy's had issues in his career with getting over the hump. He's a very good player. I've always been a little skeptical about calling this guy a complete superstar because I think there are some question marks in what he does. But he's a very good defender, a good passer. He could score the basketball. Um, but there's frustration mounting here, and you and he would not go into this actually going to no, fight I somebody. I don't think no way. There's a brawl happening in the Clippers locker room as much as that would be great. But they, but you do have to. I mean, they for whatever reason they felt so compelled to go confront them after the game is over, and like at, you have a cooling down period, right? It's not final buzzer. We're shaking hands, and I'm pushing and shoving this guy. You go back to your locker room, you all sit together, you think about it, and you're like, you know what? We're going to their Clippers locker room. And Chris Paul's like, I know the way, and he leaves them. <laughs> Follow me. <laughs> the back door way. Like you, you had to think that something good was going to come out of this for you. I do believe the report today, which is that Harden and Paul went as peacemakers. That makes a little bit more sense. Okay, they say, you know what? You guys are so heated about this. Let's go figure this out with them. Let's go talk to them. But, I mean, the backdoor thing, and you sent – why do you send Clint Capella to the yeah, front as a distraction? Yeah, dummy guys. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he has no idea what's going on. He's, like, knocking on the door like, Hello? <laughs> I'm sure they, they probably told him something beyond that he had to know. No, yeah. I'm, you, 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 I'm sure he knew. I mean, yeah. some of this stuff also doesn't add up. How does Clint Capella untouched get to the Clippers locker room where he can literally knock on the door? Are there not well, like— I I've listened a little bit about this. Apparently, guys who are friends will sometimes go over to the other team's locker room after the game, and like especially if their families are both at the game and they're former teammates, they might go over and exchange pleasantries. So it's not— uncommon for a guy to walk over to an opposing locker room but after this game and what happened on the floor you'd think there might be a little bit more skepticism from everybody around like hey there's clint capella wants to see you and then rather than getting your door you know closed on you my peak enjoyment in this whole thing was watching Shaq and charles barkley talk about it that was on tnt great it was that's honestly how i was reacting and now lapd's getting involved that's a joke yeah who that's a joke lapd yeah some I saw a meme saying Chris Paul's coming to get me, and the guy's got the phone <laughs> up to his ear. Uh, one other thing, Gerald Green has been on this Rockets team for ten games, and he was one of the two players to go over. Pawn. He's a pawn. Like what? Yeah, elaborate more. Like, why do you think Gerald Green? He's expendable. Is over? He, because because they do you just... think he has to like prove himself to the team? Like he's like. Yeah, we're going, guys. Like, I want to stay. I mean, don't I, cut me. I, I don't know Gerald Green personally. I don't know what he's like. I don't know what he <laughs> what his what his tendencies are. But this, I mean, I'm not saying he's some expendable pawn who could just go out there and like he could be kicked off the team immediately. But you're going to throw somebody who is a little bit less valuable to do this. And I'm not. Well, Trevor Ariza is a very valuable yeah. player for this team. And Chris <laughs> Paul and James Harden went over there. 
Chris, two all stars. James Harden to me always seemed such kind of mum, kind of blah in his <laughs> tendencies, always a little reserved. But Chris Paul, Chris Paul has a little fire in him, so this does not surprise me, especially yeah. what we've heard. Yeah. And meanwhile, while all of this is happening. After defeating the Cleveland Cavaliers in Cleveland, the Golden State Warriors were showering without hot water, prompting Kevin Durant to say, yell out or whatever he did, uh, get LeBron in here to help it. And then you had the Lowry Simmons thing. A lot of off-the-court, petty, but entertaining moments in the NBA Monday night. It's quite a night where the three-time matchup in the finals and the Cavaliers making the showers cold for the Warriors is not the most petty thing that happened that night. It's pretty remarkable. Who you got, Simmons or Lowry in, in a, a fight? In a fight. In a so fight. explain before I pick a little bit more about those two. So there was, it was a chippy game, Toronto losing to Philadelphia. For those of you who don't know, Lowry, a North Philly guy, a respected guy in the um, city of Philadelphia. So last offseason, some rumors before yeah. they drafted played Mark Hell that he would come play four, for the Sixers. Four years in Villanova, played at the Wells Fargo Center, um, avid Eagles fan. So I think mm-hmm. that... He said he is rooting for the Eagles. He is weekend. rooting for the Eagles, so I'll, I'll give him a little pass on that. Kind of like but, him now. But yeah, maybe like <laughs> him a little bit. Maybe next year. No. But again, a, a guy that is has Philly written on his heart... And he has a lot of plays with a lot of pride, especially when he is in the city of Philadelphia playing against the Sixers. And I think um, he came in there, and and Ben Simmons still said that I'm not from here, but this is still my city. And I think the Toronto Raptors, and I could be wrong on this, Brandon, but they were trying to test. They were trying to test uh, Ben Simmons, as a lot of players usually like to test Ben Simmons. But Ben Simmons, kind of a guy who usually you see with just one single emotion, and that's kind of nothing. So I think that some things mounted up, added, started adding up in that game, and that final play was uh, when they fouled whoever it may have been, and Ben Simmons and um, uh, I believe it was C.J. Miles kind of got together, and then Lowry came out of nowhere and was like, yo, you've been doing this all game. Um, you know, a couple of uh, pleasantries back and forth, and then Ben Simmons basically... Ben Simmons and Kyle Lowry both got thrown out, and I think Ben Simmons gestured to the locker room. He said, let's go. He pointed, and Kyle Lowry very willingly accepted that invitation and ran back to the locker room. And I think somebody on Twitter, I just saw a few posts saying that uh, there was indeed a confrontation in the locker room. I don't know to what extent that's true. or I also don't know their loose definition of a confrontation. I don't know if they were in the same vicinity, same area. They said, what's up? Or, you know, they didn't even get a chance to come close to each other before security came. But again, just one of the very few things that occurred on uh, Martin Luther King Day of a lot of basketball. I would take Lowry to answer your question. Why? He's like 6'1". I know Simmons has the size. Not even six feet. Okay. But I feel like like Lowry has the more passion. Like, I think Ben Simmons is a cool character. Sometimes Lowry, Lowry's a pest. Yeah, like Kyle Simmons, Lowry is, Simmons a pest. is smooth. Like I don't I don't imagine Simmons like, like a little really too scrapping. smooth. Yeah, like he's an excellent NBA player. Okay, so I he think uh, get the better. stats right now. He shoots but, right. Simmons is a lefty. I so, call Kyle Lowry. Lowry is, is like feisty. Lowry is feisty. Simmons is ambidextrous. Come on now. Like the some reach? people think he should shoot with his right. Yeah. So he I mean that might be an advantage. Yeah. Okay. The reach I mean, he's getting up there now too. Thirty-one years old. But he's he's Kyle also Lowry. like he's very lean. He's lanky. Lowry's like a little stocky guy. Kyle Lowry has always been one of those players that's just really annoying to play against. 
He's yeah. he, he's unless it's second round of the playoffs and he folds, but <laughs> sure, sure, <laughs> and, and, and mental uh, distress. Yeah. And, men- and and at this point, it's obviously Demar Derozan leading the way there. Yeah. There, anyways. Yeah. Uh, real quick, before we go to break, now, after watching the Warriors defeat the Cavaliers the other night, I am the most convinced that I've been in the past couple of years that the Cavs really have not much of a shot if if things stay the same. And they play in the finals again. But a lot of people, Charles Barkley said it the other day, I don't even think the Cavs are going to make it in the finals. And it's a good thing to get to real quick. Sitting seven games out of first place, the Celtics first, Raptors three back, and then four, you got the Heat, Wizards are a mess, they're five. And so so what do, what do you think real quick here about, about this Cavs team and the way they've played? Two wins in their last ten games, lost four in a row. That's tough to say because every single year since I can remember from 2014, we've said... Dating back to the Miami Heat days, uh, oh, there's something going on here. Like, well, what's going on? They're, we talk about it often, they're, right? They're yeah. in a funk. Like, and then and then you see him again. LeBron James approaching his what is it? His eighth straight NBA Finals appearance or seventh straight? Regardless, he's approaching that um, historic figure, and that's very impressive. So it's one of those things we kind of give the Cavaliers a pass in the regular season. So. I don't know if I want to give them a pass this year because I don't. I I, very, I feel very stupid almost saying that this year could be different. They could actually be struggling this year. This could be LeBron James's decline. I don't. I don't want to be that guy, so I'm not going to say it. I have a feeling they'll be there towards the end. But with that being said, that time's actually going to come. Like it's going to come. It doesn't matter. It might be five years from now, Brandon and and Teddy, but it's going to come. And I I feel like it's starting. And I I can almost guarantee you that there will be a move made at the trade deadline. I, I, and I, I believe it'll be Tristan Thompson. So something has to happen here. There's a little bit of a desperation. You're kind of running out of excuses. It was it was Blatt first. It was uh, chemistry first. It was it was Delavadova. I don't know what it was in the past four years, but you're you're running out of things. And LeBron James, as good as he looks, he's 33 now, and you can't keep saying this till he's 36, 37. He's not going to be in the shape he is like when he's Tom Brady. He's not going to go till his 40s. I'm. With both of you guys, I'm the closest that I've ever been to picking somebody else or picking the field in the Eastern Conference. With that being said, I'm hesitant to do so because we've had these conversations before. But I think this year, with more than ever, it's probably the most real that it's been. It's going to be tough for them to make a move, too. I know we'll get to a break here, but... You know, if you trade Tristan Thompson, who wants Tristan Thompson, right? We've proven that if you want to beat the Warriors or any of these good teams, that he can't be on the floor. Even Kevin Love can't be on the floor against Golden State. So to your first question, I think they don't have a chance against Golden State mm-hmm. right now, provided that Golden State's healthy. Even even if somebody else after the top four isn't healthy, if they have the top four in Golden State, it won't be more than a five-game series. Mm-hmm. But in the Eastern Conference, I think that's where it's interesting. I think they're probably still my favorite, but it's getting closer and closer every time that they play one of these really good teams and they don't show up. Well, again, they lost to teams that they could potentially meet as far as the Celtics are concerned, the Toronto Raptors are concerned, the Warriors are concerned. So it's not like they're losing to like the Pistons or the Sixers. Yeah. They're losing to teams that they should and they need to beat. So I, I don't really know what to expect from the Cavaliers. Again, I think we can feel very comfortable at least putting them in the Eastern Conference, Eastern Conference Finals. But again, I don't know what LeBron James's kind of master plan here is because it looks like we can all agree he's not going to win another championship anytime soon. LeBron in 
Go ahead, Brandon. I was just going to say, okay. not in Cleveland. Who knows what happens? Not in Cleveland. Not in but Cleveland. With this Correct. present construction, Correct. he's yeah. not winning. I mean, they've lost what eight games this calendar season. That's absolutely ridiculous. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. We usually at this time of year don't have a lot of Delaware football to get to, but a big move that didn't receive a lot of publicity because it's not a formal. I put that in air quotes right now. Formal move. The university has not reported on it, but big news for the Delaware football team. A transfer from Boston College is going to make the move. Darius Wade, who grew up in Delaware from Middletown, he went to Middletown High School. 302. 302, and he, he graduated from Boston College in three years, so he has a degree. He has decided to transfer here, and he is going to have one year of eligibility, all of a sudden making things a little bit more, I guess, optimistic, so to speak, on the surface for what we could possibly have here at the quarterback position. I think it's huge. I mean, you get you get another option, right? We talk about last year, J.P. Caruso being that transfer guy. Is he going to be the next Joe Flacco, the next Pat Devlin? Probably Boy, safe to wrong. say he wasn't. But, you know, he was okay at times, right? A great game against Richmond. Help, definitely helped turn the team around midseason. You had Joe Walker. He's still coming back. We even started to talk a little bit at the end of this season about Nolan Henderson, who was a true freshman this year who redshirted, was a state champ at Smyrna, so another Delaware guy. Could he be the guy as a redshirt freshman this year? Maybe it doesn't have to be because here comes another transfer option in Darius Wade. It certainly is nice to see him coming down from a top-flight school, right? So it's not a quite as a linear move as J.P. Caruso to Delaware was. It's coming from Boston College where he didn't get the opportunities to play that much and coming back home to Delaware. And this is a guy who had a lot of success at Middletown. He was recruited to Delaware, had bigger offers elsewhere. So he's a pretty high blue-chip prospect, just hasn't had a lot of time to play. He's also dealt with injuries throughout his career, which derailed him uh, his sophomore and junior seasons at BC. But I'm I'm hopeful. I mean, here's another option for a guy who could step in for a year and take advantage of what should be a very good returning defense and a lot of returning talent offensively. He, You mentioned that he didn't play that much in at Boston College. He only played a few games and he had injuries. So he's going to come in here with one year of eligibility. And we talk about Henderson, Caruso, and Walker will have one year. They'll be seniors. Henderson, was he, he, he'll have his first year. Uh, Pat Kehoe will be a junior as well. So there's kind of a conglomerate of quarterbacks back there. Do, were you familiar at all? I guess you two admit being from Delaware. Did you hear about him at all back no. when he was in high school? Not quite. I heard of his name. I don't know anything about as far as his skill set. or uh, But Middletown, uh, down south to Smyrna also being down south, um, you get good quality of, I don't want to say just quarterbacks, but a lot of really good football players do come out of that area. What what year would he have graduated? I would say 2012, I think. Yeah, so I, I've seen him play then. Yes. Oh, I'm sure I have too. I just, it's yeah. not someone I remember. I don't remember the name. Yeah, I just don't remember him, yeah. But I mean, mm-hmm. personally, at Newark, they played Middletown when I was a freshman in the yeah. state championship. And every year, Middletown is a very good team. Every year, yeah. But that was a pretty prolific passing attack if yeah. I remember right and they mm-hmm. have um they had Chris Godwin who was who's now with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers went to Penn State so he's the big name that I remember a little bit more recent than Darius Wade but you look at his number 7,780 7,778 career yards and also a lot on the ground too I mean that's that's as blue chip as it comes for Delaware and we'll see if it translates to the collegiate level but 
you go back to those times, pretty impressive. That being said, we've also seen guys like Jamie Jarman come out of Delaware schools having great quarterback numbers and having to change positions once they get here. He was another transfer guy who actually went and played baseball first. But you know he's had four years to learn college football at a higher level at BC. Now he comes here to Delaware with competition level won't be quite as high. I think there's a lot of reasons to be hopeful. I don't mean to sound dramatic, but it can't get much worse at the quarterback position for this right. team. I mean, that's why you bring this guy in, right? Because mm-hmm. he's probably not worse than J.P. Caruso. And Joe Walker, I believe, will probably make the full-time switch to wide receiver. I, I yeah. could see I hope him. So. Hope so. I could see him getting some snaps at quarterback if you want to get fancy and you want to get cute. But <laughs> I, I would say, for the most part, Joe Walker is a wide receiver now. And if I'm the coach, I'm, I'm saying, well, if you want any time at all, you you're going to be wide receiver because, again, like. Teddy said a whole conglomerate. How do you say it? Conglomerate. Conglomerate. That was a very interesting abbreviation. Conglomerate of quarterbacks for the University of Delaware. Well, Joe Walker and the Blue Hens offense had their most success when in the the Maine game. Mm -hmm. Well, um, it feels like so long ago. Maine, and then what was the game between Maine and Villanova? Albany. Albany, Albany, where they did a little bit, twenty-four to three, something like that. And then Villanova, it all fell apart. We know about, heard about that in the past, but. If if <laughs> that wasn't so convincing, if, Brandon. If you can put a new guy in there, we haven't seen him play. We don't know what he'll have until they start spring workouts relatively soon mm-hmm. in the next uh, couple of weeks. But uh, really, anything is an upgrade for what they have. But that, yeah. are we going to see this again now, where we we we, we gave Joe got, Walker a run now, and then we, are we going to pull him? I want to see twelve, yeah, eleven, twelve. Joe. We just said Joe Walker's. Gonna no, no, no. Receiver. I'm talking about. I'm talking about this new guy. I'm talking about this new guy. Oh. And I don't. I want. I want to see eleven or twelve games of of one quarterback. That's that's what I'm saying. What if he stinks? That, that's what I'm saying. And, and unfortunately, it's been like that. And, and I was just asking Brandon in the commercial break, why do we have so many quarterbacks? And and he's right because they all suck. But with that being said, I think we need to find some sort of consistency here and not well, go they're, back. They're trying to. Yeah. No. No. I get it. They're trying to, but it, it's going to be tough when when guys are rotating in and out. That's all I'm saying. It's going to be tough. I understand that they have no other option now that they have to give these guys a tryout, and there's no better tryout than real game time. But it's. I'm just saying. Except expect a similar year, maybe, unless this guy, you know, is good. Then maybe he'll 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 obviously get bulk of the games. But with that being said, I'm just right. saying expect another expect a similar season as we and, did last and year. And a similar season could still be playoff contention. Sure, with sure, yeah. The talent that they'll have around the quarterback mm-hmm. position. It's just that as we talked at length last season, you have to have at least an above average quarterback to unhinge that championship level mm-hmm. um, potential of this team. Right? Like you can have a great defense and maybe make the playoffs. Eight wins is probably likely with what they'll be bringing back. But until you have someone who can at least steer the ship at quarterback, until you have a Case Keenum, right? You're not really a championship. I was going to say we sound That's like. You're are you talking for. about you're the Jags, for Tom the Eagles? Brady. Yeah. You know, you're hoping for somebody who can steer the ship and mm-hmm. take advantage of the talent that's around him, because there will be talent around the quarterback, whoever it might be. The and, starter week one will be if you had to guess. Oh, I, it's too early for me. Is it too early? It's we we have we. I got to look up highlights. This just came out the other day. I don't know how it plays. <laughs> yeah, okay. But what I'll All say right. is that the structure of this team is there, and Rocco did a nice job formulating a dominant defense and formulating 
or, or using some of the skills that these offensive players have. Unfortunately, a lapse of, in concentration for three minutes or more, if you want to say it, in the Towson game and then the entirety of the Villanova te- game cost this team a chance to receive the national respect that they thought they should have received. Instead, the mainstay, New Hampshire, got it, and that's who went to the tournament. So you talk about, oh, well, it could be the same team next year. It could be the same team. Yeah. But I, I would like to that think might not that be the year, worst thing in, the world. in year two of Rocco, this is not the only change we'll see. Hopefully everything else will flow in the upward direction as well. And, and I think the window with the current talent is not super long. So you hope that you can take advantage of it this year. You think about defensively, Reader, Troy Reader will graduate after this season. Nazar Adderley will graduate after this season. They already were going to have to bring in a new defensive line this year. So so the window is not super long, right? If you look at Nolan Henderson, who would be starting as a redshirt freshman, he might be really good as a junior and a senior. But maybe you wait on that potential a little bit and hope you get a guy who's maybe a little bit better this year and hold off on a Henderson because you have to take advantage of who you have around him. You're going to lose Joe Walker offensively. You'll lose guys on the offensive line. You'll lose Kanai Kane. They'll be able to replace them in time, but I think the the window is like this next year, maybe the year after that, before you have to do a no, whole overhaul into a new, entirely Danny Rocco lineup. Hello, what's going on, everyone, and welcome to Uncaged. We're bringing you a little bit of sports. We're bringing you a little bit of entertainment, a little bit of comedy, and maybe, why not, a little bit of politics. Getting ready, uh, excited for the new show. You're easily a a, a tier one YMCA team My man was talking spicy, and then he retracted his statement. You you, you can't do that. Buns. Just buns. I want to say mad buns because... Like I like the thought Buns I think they're doing The best that they can It's not good enough You're listening to Uncaged Thank you and peace out Uncaged featuring Ahmed Quadri and Jake Lampert Is available now Under the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast feed Wherever you download Your podcast <laughs>